Welcome back to the podcast. I'm in the airport. It's super weird. It's an eerie situation here. Kind of crazy. Traveling to LA, flying in for about a week. Got a lot of business to do. Got a lot of friends to see. This is me, but you know, I should be wearing the mask. So I'm going to wear the mask on this intro. That's the times, people. Okay. Um, this episode, I have John of Grand Street Local. I've known him for a long time since he had his brand, Feltrager. And interesting story because he went from having a brand to owning a vintage top full time, where it usually goes the other way. Um, we get into a lot of wicked topics on this episode. We talk about owning a store in New York because he's basically on the same block as Supreme in Brooklyn. We talk about uh, running of his brand, Feltrager. We talk about vintage influence in streetwear. But I think the best thing on this episode is we get real deep into the Air Jordan 1. He has a wicked collection. If you're watching this on YouTube, you can see that. And we talk a lot about it. How to know if they're wearable, the values. Um, yeah, a lot of great info on Air Jordan 1. So stay tuned for that after the vintage news. But also, along with the vintage news... John is doing lives Sunday night at 6 p.m. Eastern Time. So that's Grand Street Local is going live 6 p.m. Eastern Standard Time. Sundays, 6 p.m. Tune in for that. Check it out. He's got a lot of great shit to sell. So check it out. Okay. In the vintage news. Well, like I said, I'm traveling to L.A. Going to be hopefully catching some waves. Going to be seeing a lot of friends. I'm actually selling at the Melrose Trading Post with the Earthlings this Sunday. You can hear that baby crying in the background at the airport. So that should be dope. Never done the Melrose. Rose Bowl is still closed. So I'm doing the Melrose Trading Post. If you want to come see me and get an appointment to buy stuff, I have a whole storage locker full of gear at, in Pasadena. We're taking appointments on Saturday for that. Okay. So Friday afternoon or Saturday taking appointments. If you want to come buy stuff, it's a $500 minimum. I have thousands and thousands and thousands of items to sell, including thousands of t-shirts. So come through and see me. Okay, new segment on the show. It is called, This Is Not A Stock Tip. I cannot give you a legit stock tip. Because first of all, I don't think I'm qualified, but second of all, it's illegal. So this segment is called, This Is Not A Stock Tip. I recently got put on to a company called Cielo. Okay, Cielo Waste Solutions. What they're doing is they're taking garbage and they're turning it into diesel fuel through a patented process and they've pretty much figured it out. The stock ticker, it's on the, I think it's on the Toronto Stock Exchange. It is CMC, Cielo Waste Solutions. Go check that out. It's been on a bit of a tear going up lately and I think once they figure it all out and get a few more things put in place, it's gonna go on more of a tear. But hey, don't take my advice because this is not a stock tip. Okay, I told you on the last episode, by the way, thanks everyone for tuning in to the Snapback Chronicles, lots of good feedback about that. Go check it out if you haven't listened to it. Uh, me and Jesse, but mainly Jesse, talk about the early days of Snapbacks because he was instrumental in that. And yeah, we're going to keep pumping out more episodes of that, so stay tuned. Also, the Polo Archives are coming out. And go check out that because more coming soon. Our Toronto store is shutting the door. Not because we were doing bad, not because of COVID, because the building sold. The building sold and the landlord wanted us out because they want to open their own business there. What can I do about that? Nothing. Um, 
So we got offered a way out of our lease. And to be honest, because of COVID and because this winter is gonna suck, we said, okay, so we're gonna reopen in the spring. But until Sunday, you have 50% off everything in the Toronto shop at 418 Queen West. That's 50% off until Sunday. Go check that out. We just dropped over a hundred sick earth and animal teas on frankiecollective.com. If you know me, you listen to this podcast, you know I'm pretty pro planet. And these teas are really dope. It's not associated with the fundraiser, but there's some great teas and you can show your support for the planet by wearing them. Go check it out. But that's not to say I'm not going to do a lot of fundraisers in the future. I said this on another podcast. I'm actually looking to hire a position in Frankie that their sole job is to raise money for the planet and initiatives that we feel deserve our help. If you know someone or that is you and you want to be raising money full time to support the planet, hit me up. Okay. What else do I got in the news? I got notes here, guys. This is a good news section. ThriftCon is coming to Vegas. Don't know the dates, but I saw they were looking. Um, they sent me a free t-shirt. Thanks, dudes. And they printed on dead stock as to not create more pollution. So that was rad, super rad tea. Thank you, boys. And yeah, stay tuned and go check them out for news about their Vegas ThriftCon. Okay, so I have a Patreon. What the hell is a Patreon? A Patreon is a service where I offer people exclusive content. I offer peace, people exclusive education. And I have a couple shout outs to two of my new Patreon members. Fine and Dandy Throwback. At Fine and Dandy Throwback, just signed up. Appreciate you big time. And at Jackson Taylor signed up. I appreciate you big time. You sign up, you get a shout out. That's how it goes. But that's not the whole thing, okay? There's three tiers, okay? Second tier is probably the best one. With the second tier membership, you get access to the VMMG Mastermind Group Facebook page, and you can review all the content we went, we pumped out there. There was weekly Zoom lessons and basically a whole curriculum that I put out throughout that three-month program. So you get access to that, but then we're gonna start doing weekly lives again. So basically get access to my Vintage Mastermind Group page. You can link with everyone on there because it's still all the people on there. And we're gonna do weekly live Q&A sort of mastermind sessions on Zoom and you get access to that. Super dope. I've been getting lots of wicked messages about people who are super pumped on the content. They've learned a lot. I got a message last week about somebody who went out and found a Browns Beach jacket because they learned it on one of my YouTube videos. Now, that dude just basically made, I don't know, 800 bucks because he learned something on my show. Somebody recently hit me up saying they got super stoked on our digging episode and they went out and found some digs. That shit is so rad, okay? For the price of a Starbucks fancy coffee per month, you can support myself, pump out this content. You can support me in pumping out this content. What does the support allow me to do? It allows me to pump out more content. Plus you'll get so much exclusive stuff on the Patreon. Go check out the Patreon. I appreciate everyone who does. Uh, sign up if you like. If not, I'm going to keep doing this and I'm going to keep going. Okay, please take a minute. Give this video a thumbs up. If you're listening to it on iTunes, please go write me a review. Give me a five-star rating. Share this video 
or share this podcast on your Facebook, share it on IG. I'm mad, appreciate it. Just had a crazy thought. On this episode, we have a new segment called Big Burns. It's a segment where we talk about where we fucked up and we lost a lot of money on items, okay? I'm gonna be bringing that. I want your input on other segments. Give me some ideas for new segments on the show, stuff that we can bring out every episode. Also, if you wanna become a vintage and stuff, field reporter, I'm taking submissions, okay? All you gotta do is film yourself talking about some vintage news, something worthy, somewhere, an event, what's going on, whatever, whatever's happening, send me the clips. If they're good and the news is worthy, I'm gonna put you on the show as a field reporter, okay? Send me your clips. Stay tuned for Big Burns. And without further ado, we're gonna get into this episode. John of At Grand Street Local. Enjoy. the show yeah thank you thanks for having me bud thanks for coming on dude so you and i met geez years ago at the rose bowl this was yeah you have a you have an interesting history different than a lot of the people in this business a lot different than a lot of people that i've had on the show because you actually went the other direction most people go from vintage into starting a brand and i knew you when you had a brand and now you're full-blown into vintage correct (laughs) Yeah, yeah, absolutely. So I kind of wanted to touch touch on that a little bit, like your history. Obviously, when you had the brand, which was called Felt Trigger, right? Yep, correct. And and that is like an ode to your family's history. Is that right? Yeah, Felt Trigger was our, our original family kind of last name. So as I immigrated from Russia into Ellis Island, it got changed um, from Fell Trigger to Feldman which uh, it turns out a lot of names got kind of butchered and they almost tried to simplify them a little more and make them a little more American. And so. Yeah, that's that's so funny. Like they took like they took <laughs> the soul out of so many people's names probably. I mean, and uh, so you, it went from Feldtrager to Feldman. Is that what you said? Yeah. Yeah, that's so wild. I'm sure yeah. that happened to a lot of people. Um, but so, yeah, I knew you in those days. You, and Feldtrager was run by yourself and your brother, correct? Yeah, my uh, my oldest brother, Dan, who is out in L.A. now, he originally started it in 2010. And pretty much after the first season or so, he asked me to come out and kind of help him. And originally it was for uh, more so photography, shooting some stuff, kind of helping with kind of some design and some behind the scenes stuff. And then kind of fell in love with it, too, and kind of working with him and doing everything together. And I kind of became the... uh, kind of like the, the head of the brand a little bit more in ter- terms of retail and kind of helping with design and back-end stuff. And honestly, it was, you know, it started as a small brand, but in a few years we started doing uh, wholesale and international distribution and some bigger projects and stuff. So um, we started talking to a lot of the big guys and it was a lot of fun. Um, it's just a lot of, uh, it's expensive to make your own stuff, especially all USA made and 
So yeah, it came totally. with some ups and downs for sure. No, I can relate, man. Um, so your your brand, Foul Trigger, was it was it was heritage style. It was kind of well. Explain explain the vibe of the brand. Um. So my brother and I kind of I have two two brothers. We grew up in South Florida. And um, to be honest, my oldest brother, Dan, who we ran the brand with, he was always way more into kind of like that 60s lowbrow type of culture from choppers and hot rods um, to more of that kind of earlier styling and that type of vibe. So really, when he started doing Feldtrigger, um, one of the taglines was the new American classic. And it was essentially a lot of just like classic, timeless um, kind of like some of our favorite vintage pieces that we would go back through and go, oh, I wish this had this. I wish they did it in this color with these finishings or this type of thing. And so we kind of set out to start a lot of uh, these pieces based off of what we wanted to see and uh, essentially what we saw a lack in the market for. So we did, everything was strictly USA made, but we did everything from, you know, cut and sew, t-shirts and different washes all the way to button downs, denim, outerwear, um, hats, glasses, jewelry, we were kind of trying to touch into everything. And to be honest, I think if we had a little more time, we'd get into other things like furniture and that type of stuff as well. Um, we were just always looking to create stuff and we'd look at things that we loved and then try to think about what they were missing, what they were lacking, what we wish they had, um, and kind of try to create those things. And so obviously vintage played a huge part in that project. And yeah. you, you were coming to the bowl because you were you're probably buying for inspiration, but also buying to mix vintage into the merchandising of the shop at the time. Uh, yeah, bit of a mix. To be honest, we really didn't end up start doing vintage within Feltrigger Feltrigger store till kind of like the last year. Um, so most of that stuff when we would see you at, at the bowl and at inspiration and stuff like 10, 10 or so years ago, yeah, um, it was like mostly we were looking for stuff for inspiration for future collections and whatnot. Yeah. Okay. And before this project, were you into vintage just personally? Yeah, kind of. To be honest, I always felt like I had a bit of like a unique, uh, I guess, like love and appreciation and like styling for some of these things. So when I was younger, um, I grew up going to like Army Navy stores and going to skate parks. Um, you know, this is like when I was, you know, six, seven, eight years old. And then kind of, I think, went to the one of the first thrift stores in like sixth grade and was kind of like blown away, like, oh, like this is all the cool older shit I've been seeing that I had no idea about um, or where to find it or where to go. You know, when you're younger, you don't realize that there's places like this. It's just like, oh, you're going to go to the mall or you're going to go to like Foot Locker or something. But, you know, I would see all these older things and never knew where to find them. So that one of the first thrift stores I ever went to in like sixth grade, I remember one of the first pieces I got, it was like a, you know, a Michigan sweatshirt, just like really good blue and yellow colors. And I just... There was a, a Japanese dude that I saw at the airport when I was super young and he had a pair of like Michigan low dunks. And that was one of the early things that I saw that kind of like set me off. So even oh, loving that shoe so much, seeing a sweatshirt that was just in that world, I was like, I have to, I have to own this. Yeah, that's right. So it was kind of a slow, yeah. So it was kind of a slow evolution of, you know, kind of more military workwear stuff into more skate stuff. And then kind of in middle school, got into thrifts and sneakers and kind of all that stuff like merged together. Yeah. Okay. For me. So what happened to the brand? Why did you guys close and how did you move on into what you're doing now? Um, to be honest, I guess it's a little bit of a, a mixed situation. Um, I guess one of the easier ways to explain it um, 
was that my brother, after doing it for 10 years, he was just kind of ready to, to start working on some other projects. And um, honestly, he's one of the best entrepreneurs I know. He is, in a sense, sometimes all over the place. But whenever he decides to do, he kind of masters and he sticks with that. And one of the things that he also loved growing up was like films um, and certain directors and certain producers and stuff. So now he's living in LA. He's still doing some clothing production, consulting and stuff, but now his new main focus is more film. So he's working on uh, kind of a really cool like horror movie film right now. And uh, to be honest, I just think he always loves to create. So when he was younger, he was in a garage band forever. And so his earlier stages of creating was like, he would make merch for his band and stuff back in the day when they were in middle school and high school. And I think those were kind of like the earlier pieces for him where he could really figure out like, hey, I can really tell a whole story between, you know, the location, how it's shot, what we're putting out, all these details behind it and that type of thing. And, you know, he was one of the people that uh, that kind of helped me understand some of these things as far as, you know, maybe even curating more of a space, a vibe, a zone, that type of thing. And um, so I definitely learned a lot working with him at, yeah. uh, at Feltrigger that kind of led me into being able to open my own shop and and do something a little more of like a, a passion project for myself nice i think you know obviously you know it's it's good to hear the story of it and a lot of people get burnt out man i've got burnt out many times throughout my history with f and frank and i think for me how i stay in it is that you know we work within vintage but we're always doing different projects within it and like you know you got to be putting yourself into something else to create and have that freedom to change i'm super add so like i need new projects all the time something to like sink your teeth into you know yeah, <clears throat> yeah so i totally sure. feel that and um yeah so then so then basically right at, did you have like a big break between that and grand street local or did you go right in not really to be honest they kind of overlapped um at the time when we first started talking about it i was honestly i was like pretty heartbroken you know what i mean i felt like i moved out to new york to do this i put like all my blood sweat and tears into it um, kind of became like the brand director, brand manager. Um, you know, we got to a really cool point where, you know, we were talking to, you know, to doors like Barney's and a lot of bigger companies about doing a lot of projects and stuff. And, um, you know, there's a part of me that was starting to get a little burnt out too. And a little bit of like, Hey, we're kind of doing the same thing, the same thing. And it's like, like cool. And it's different, but maybe there's other stuff out there. Um, you know, and I originally went to school for interior and architectural design. So I've always been into, you know, more than just, uh, you know, the clothing line, clothing brand, as far as like building a space and building an atmosphere. And, uh, you know, I hate to use the word lifestyle, but more of a well-rounded type of collection. And so for us, you know, we're, I feel like we're always kind of working on new stuff, but essentially to answer your question, kind of the last year of the Feltrager store over here, we started doing the vintage stuff and it was doing so well. And then, once we kind of found out that, you know, Dan was kind of checking out a little bit and we were going to kind of like put the brand to the side. Um, my wife and I, who, uh, who opened this shop together, um, we it, like on our days off, we'd always go out and vintage hunt. We were always looking for cool stuff. And whether it was our size or not, or youth size or women's, we'd pick it up if it was cool. Um, and we ended up collecting so much stuff that we, we decided that was really more of our passion and that was what we would really be, I guess, a little more, um, a little more excited to kind of build moving forward. And so we had this space that became available and it was directly across the street from Feldrager and it was an old skate shop and our buddy used to be over here and he kind of gave us a heads up beforehand. They would be moving out 
And, um, and we knew we started seeing some of the homies from Supreme kind of creep around our block a year or so before they opened. Um, and as they got a little closer, we started seeing more construction on our block. And then we kind of poked around a little bit and turned out that Supreme was about to open on our street right across the street. So we felt like that was really a good time to take advantage of this space that opened up and this new concept. And so we ended up renting out this other space across the street. And uh, for about maybe six months or so, we had both stores right across from each other. Um, so it was really cool because you kind of had like this, you know, it was like, oh, if you want more new private label made in USA garments with a vintage vibe and feel, then you go to Feltrigger. And if you want more proper vintage 70s, 80s, 90s, workwear, heritage, military stuff, um, you go to Grand Street Local. Yeah. And it was really cool because we were literally just like pushing people back and forth. If you grab something here, we'll hook you up over there and that type of thing. Um, but a lot of the pieces in Feltrigger were so inspired from vintage that it kind of even helped tell the story a little more where it's like, hey, we have our dad's old high school varsity jacket from Sheep's Head Bay up here in Brooklyn hanging up. And then we have the one that we just made that we collabed with Golden Bear. Um, so we had all these like different pieces where like, this is kind of looks like a Carhartt jacket, but it's a really good like wax quilted vibe that we did at Feldschrager. Or here's more of like that earlier workwear Carhartt piece if you want to go that way. So it kind of had its pros and cons to it. And, yeah, and uh, create, by having multiple locations in the neighborhood, you can like tailor the, the whole community around what you're doing. You know, I think it's a lot of, a lot of businesses have done that with like multiple brands, you know, I think it's, it's a cool, it's a cool way to go. Yeah. And I mean, one of the other things I loved is we worked with so many cool young designers and stuff at Feltrigger because it was like, we wanted to do all USA made stuff and pretty much all like smaller brands. So we worked with a lot of cool younger creatives that, um, it just kind of worked out for everybody and it was a, a good experience and, um, you know, I'm, I'm happy yeah. we, I'm happy we did it. So where was Supreme? Supreme started in New York. Where was the original store? So the original store is in Manhattan on Lafayette. And, and they're still so, there, right? No. So that one, uh, just this past year, they closed, I think it was supposed to be like a temporary close. And then they ended up moving into a larger location on Bowerage, like just a few blocks away. Okay. Um, and I guess that's now their permanent NY, their permanent Manhattan location. Um, and then they even have a smaller location in Dover street market. That's more like midtown Manhattan. Um, and then this one that they opened over here, uh, I don't, I guess, I guess about a year and a half ago or something in that range. So do you see ton of spillover traffic from it? Has that been good for business? Yeah, to be honest, it's kind of funny because, um, you know, some days it definitely is great and it brings more people to the block. Um, but, you know, if you haven't been by Supreme recently, then you might forget how it is or what it's like now. But even this past Thursday, you know, they, they did a new release and it's just like every couple feet, it's just kids out there like stalking and harassing people like, oh, are you selling? You got a spot? Can you get me this? You doing that? You doing this? And, you know, I get everyone's kind of doing their thing and doing their hustle. Yeah, yeah. But, there's certain days where I come where I'm just like, oh man, I almost wish like we weren't next to Supreme some days because, you know, people think it's just like an automatic, like, oh, you're getting all these extra people and all this shit. But like, you know, not for nothing. I used to be a Supreme kid in the early 2000s. And it's like, you know, if I'm going to Supreme, I'm spending every dollar I have there, you know, if I'm investing or if I'm getting it for the personal or whatever. And most of the time, you're not like continuing to shop around the area. So, you totally. know, those people are so they're like they have the blinders on they have the horse blinders on they go like right for it that's their mission they want to flip or they want to grab a certain piece they've seen and so then yeah. let's talk about this you know obviously everybody knows supreme you know it's it's sort of 
it sort of defines streetwear in a weird way in our age right now, which is neither good or bad. It just is what it is. People are like making money off it. There's a whole economy based around it. Yeah. And, you know, we know it's obviously inspired lots by vintage, of course, right? There's, I love finding pieces or looking at the latest Supreme collections, which I actually haven't even done. I haven't even looked at a Supreme collection <laughs> since, since, or, since I guess the fall, since like last pre-COVID. Um, yeah. But it is cool to see because you'll, you'll, as a vintage dealer, you know this, you'll see the inspiration, you'll see, uh, you know, graphics or stylings or different things that they've taken from vintage pieces. Uh, I've talked about this before, but they obviously, they probably buy from you, right? Their designers come in your store. We've kind of been talking about some different stuff and uh, what they're telling me now is their plan now kind of moving forward for some of their creative direction is they're working with some of their youngest skaters that they have on the teams and asking them what they'd want to see and how they'd prefer to wear it. So they are like very much tapping into really that younger 16, 17, 18 year old skater kid. And like, that's what they're going for right now. But that's sweet. It's been interesting. Smart. Like, yeah, that's what they should be doing. I mean, it, it, it is. And I totally see that. But at the same time, it almost like starts to bridge a little more of a gap between like the people that were into it earlier, you know, and kind of like where it's going to, because yeah. as much as I like love and respect Supreme and, you know, obviously they do a lot of great pieces. It's just, it's supposed to be like a limited brand. But then, you know, when you're on a block like ours, you see like all these 12 year old girls wearing the same thing from last week. And you're like, it's hard for me to think about wearing one of those right now. So yeah kind of pros and cons to to that a little bit yeah no i feel that i guess you know there's there's the mentality of aging with your customer right like you were into it in the early 2000s and then a lot of brands would build out lines throughout your lifespan that kind of follow you as you grow like you know i I, a canadian brand that does that really well for women is aritzia and they have sub labels that will like go follow that person's lifestyle as they get older right yeah um so you're right. Like, yeah, for the older customer who was OG head, it's not going to be, it's not going to be the vibe, especially if a 16 year old's designing it, but at least they're getting the input from skaters. I appreciate for that. For sure. No, hundred percent, a hundred percent. And that's why, I mean, like, dude, honestly, like the skate style is like, it's, you, it's hard to touch, you know what I mean? It, it's like, it's the best. It's the toughest. It's like the, I don't give a shit. It's the, it's the coolest. And now, I mean, you just see even more evidence that all these other brands and all these other big guys are moving towards that and doing that more. And, you know, it's just, it's crazy all the things throughout our life that was so like even looked down upon, you know, earlier on that's so almost like coveted nowadays. It's, it's interesting, you know, it's, it's all that, you know, you're also into Harley because we've talked about this. It's the same kind of thing, you know, Harley's cool because it was fringe culture. It was like, you know, it was badass. People didn't want it around. Same with skateboarding. Like you couldn't right. skate, you get kicked out. It was badass. And now that stuff is all cool and, and people are realizing it. So what do you think of uh, the Louis Vuitton skate shoe and how they're building a skate team? Um, it's interesting. You know what I mean? I, I feel like it's like, uh, it's, it's kind of more and more wild every day. I feel like anything's possible with brands nowadays. I mean, from seeing like, you know, car collaborations to, to, you know, to, to things like this. And, uh, you know, I, it gets you thinking back in the day, you're like, Oh, actually like Eddie Bauer was doing these like expedition and Ford Explorer collabs and stuff back in the day. And yeah. so like, you know, it kind of makes sense. And, and, uh, you know, I, I see it tapping into other things. And 
I think with Virgil being at the, the head of Louis Vuitton right now that he's really trying to pull in more of that street culture and he's been trying to do it for a long time and he's been doing a really great job of it for a very long time. So it, it's not something that surprises me. Um, yeah. It's hard to get and, surprised uh, nowadays. <laughs> yeah. I just, I think when I saw it the other day, I like looked at, uh, I like looked at maybe my wife or like one of my, one of my buddies or someone in the shop. And I was just like, I wonder what like my mom would think of seeing that now with like Louis Vuitton, you know what I mean? Like, cause it was always like one of those things that was just like marketed to more of like an older kind of customer and like that type of thing. And now it's like, almost like, I think like Gucci, for example, is like the median age is like 18 or 19. That's like buying a lot of that stuff. And so it's just like, it's interesting. Like, I wonder if almost like how Supreme a little bit, like some of the older heads are like taking it almost like a little step sideways. I wonder if like, if that's happening at all with Louis Vuitton, if some of these older people are like, oh, well, now that there's younger kids that are skateboarding, wearing this, that like, maybe that's not nice enough for me anymore. You know, I, that's, I don't know. That's so a super good point. I hadn't even thought of that, dude. And you're so, it's so true, man. I guarantee that's happening to a certain demographic. And I wonder how they're going to, divide their marketing plan and sort of hit those different dem demos, right? Without like kind of screwing either one. Yeah. Super interesting. Yeah. It's kind of, it's kind of interesting. Um, that's a, that's, a, sick, that's even, a sick hat, by the way. Thank you. You got to show it's the close like up. A, the quarter of Jordan. Yeah. This is a, to be honest, so like that's kind of another merge of some of my favorite things where when we opened the shop, I think one of the first looks that I put up that was like, just like really explained our shop was like an original Jordan wings logo shirt from 85 with like a original 1940s, you know, world war two military deck jacket over it. And it was like that blend of like proper uh, military workwear type of vintage into more streetwear pop culture. And like, that's essentially like what we specialize in. That's like what I've always kind of been into. And to be honest, nowadays, it's super cool that there's a lot more young people like me that are opening their own shops because you kind of get a cool blend of like what their favorites are. But before I opened this shop a little over three years ago, um, I was kind of finding it tough to find shops that had a, that kind of specialized in that. Like maybe you'd see more that are a little more streetwear heavy and then you get the really good ones that are like cool, more old timey ones. But I would never go into a shop and see like a really cool workwear piece next to like a cooler pair of like older Nikes. And yeah. so that was like, kind of like that blend that I was trying to like tie together and, and marry for this shop. And so and this so is like one of you, my all time favorite graphics. You feel, you feel like your customer base has taken to it and appreciate it. Yeah, for sure. And you know, it's cool because we get, you know, we do kids stuff too, but we get everyone in the age, you know, from, you know, like eight years to 80 years old and everyone kind of comes in and like geeks out over something else. Um, whether it's like these old toys or even like these crazy old, like big metal Tonka cars where like these 70 or old uh, 70 or 80 year old guys come in and they're just like, they look like little kids on Christmas geeking out over some of this stuff. So, you know, it's cool in here. It's like, we like having a bit of a range of like of vintage decades and of price points and of categories to try to kind of have something for everybody within our world. Yeah. So that's that's super cool. It's creative, man. And I, I think there are no rules. And you can create your own your own vibe and your own image and how you want to do it and how you want to present it to the world. And I think a lot of people are doing interesting things right now, like including what you've done with your store, that you wouldn't, like you said, you wouldn't have seen that. You wouldn't have seen that at all back in the day. It wasn't mixed. You know, you either had these streetwear stores that were very, the streetwear vintage was so loud. It was all that like 80s, 90s, multicolored, bright stuff. And it was like, right 
almost like too much, you know, and then, but in reality, what you're doing is what the real streetwear brands are actually taking inspiration from because they'll do graphic tees, but then they'll, they'll do like really functional, a pair of just nice pants or, um, you know, you know, Noah. Yeah. Are they near you in, in New York? So they're in, uh, in Manhattan, like kind of in Soho area. Okay. So I mean, realistically, it's like, we're, we're so close to the bridge and it's right over the bridge. So it's like 10 minutes or so. Yeah. I really like what they're doing from like their styling and how they design and also from how they're actually caring about the planet more than a lot of brands. For sure. No, I, I, I agree. I was in there. I went over there for one of my last couple of days off, I think a week or two ago, and they always have a great, a great collection, just like nicer, sturdier pieces. You know, the, the, the price points are a little more than a lot of your basic brands, but it's like, but it's, it's there and it's quality and it's, uh, yeah. I think I think Noah's, Noah's a good brand for sure, and it's definitely cool that they pay attention to to the environment as well. Because and, most, most and that's you know you say exactly you hit it on the head with sturdier product, but the price points are up there. But that is the different differentiating factor between just good clothes and fast fashion. Because on the other hand, the fast fashion is the cheap stuff that is made terrible, and you're going to have to buy three times a year, or you go buy something like Noah or or. Uh, Filson or some brand like even Carhartt like you can rock right. a pair of Carhartts for years that's the yeah. point and that's something that you're gonna you don't have to shell out for three times a year you buy one and it lasts you right yeah I mean we get some people that come through I mean we get a lot of different people that come through in here and like it's pretty much just me in here usually so like I have a lot of good conversations with people and there's a lot of different industry people and different things going on and there's a one guy specifically that comes in he works for you know, a, a bigger brand like that. And literally like their goal is to make things that are trendy enough, but literally will not last a season will not last a few washes. They want you, they want you to be able to, to have to get a new, a new one with within a season or by the next year, you know? So it's like, it's kind of crazy how they literally do that deliberately. And I think it's almost like Apple, how they even like, there's something that came out recently that said, like, when you do update your phone, that it like, there is something that slows it down a little bit. So you got to kind of do something else. And so it's like, even for bigger and companies, that, and to that be plays in to the whole changing the charger plug and changing all that stuff. So often that you have, you literally have to go buy the new fucking charger. You're like, come on. Yeah, dude, it's, it's crazy. Brutal. It, it is. Um, okay. I want to talk about New York. I, I, I don't go to New York very much. I, I go to LA a lot. I probably have only been to New York like five times since I was a kid. When I lived on the East coast as a kid, we used to go more often, but New York gives me anxiety, man. It, I feel like the, the logistics of doing business in New York is tricky and you know, it's expensive. It's hustle bustle. So what's it like having a store there, dude? Um, it's a lot of fun. It's, it's definitely a lot of fun. Um, definitely hustle and bustle. I mean, we got all types of characters that come in and all types of things. And I mean, we've had a lot of different issues. I mean, we've been doing retail since, uh, I guess about 2011 or 2012 out here between the Feltrigger store and this store. So, I mean, we've run into all types of issues and different things and, um, it's interesting, but it's fun. You know what I mean? And there's like, yeah. there's not another place like it. And I feel like, um, you know, the people or possibilities that could walk into your store here in New York, just it's not possible to happen anywhere else. I mean, we've had all these, you know, bigger brands come through that we've, you know, started partnerships and started relationships together because they stumbled into our shop or because they saw us online and then like randomly came through. 
And I mean, it's gotten us working with, you know, everyone from Nike to Calvin Klein, SNL, um, you know, different shows, different companies now, now come through to poll or ask about different things that people are asking about for like trend forecasting reports. Um, so it's interesting. And, you know, to be honest, I just, I'm not sure how many of these opportunities or what we would be like if we weren't in a cool spot like New York as well. You know, we do online and we sell a bunch of Instagram and stuff. But for me, it's always been very important to have uh, a space that you can kind of invite people into and uh, kind of let them step into your world a little bit. Yeah. So for us, it's, in, it's important to, to have like a showroom like this. The other thing I think about with New York is that it's the top of the top prices in America for vintage clothing. <laughs> you know, pricing vintage clothing is... Uh, situational. You can get yeah, certain prices sure. depending on where you are. If you're in London, you probably get higher prices. You know, in Japan, certain things are way higher priced than they are in America. Um, New York is definitely more expensive than Wisconsin. So <laughs> I, I look at like like certain stores in New York, and I'm like, wow, they're getting crazy prices. So do you feel that, or is it just Manhattan, or like, how do you feel about um, what people are willing to pay in New York versus other places? Uh, for sure. Uh, honestly, definitely a bit of a mix. I mean, we try to get a lot of product that you can't find on other selling platforms. So we try to specialize in finding stuff that's like, you know, in a sense, it, it's, you know, some of the things you kind of put your own price point on it because you can't find it other places. So there's yeah. a lot of basic stuff like that, too, where it's like, yo, I could hop on Depop or Etsy or one of these like random sites and like maybe find this for 20, 30 bucks. But um, but you know, but in the shop, it might be double that or triple that. And then a lot of the stuff we do is so like situational based on fade and wear. I mean, we've had literally two of the exact same shirts and I've sold one for double the price just cause like crazy wear to it. Um, yeah. you know, we're also starting to get more items where sometimes I'm not sure if it should be two or four or 600 bucks. And, uh, one of the things that we've started to do more recently was we do like auctions and, you know, sometimes I think maybe we're going to sell something for 400 bucks and it ends up going for 600 bucks an auction. So it's kind of interesting, you know, with price points and obviously post COVID, it's like, you know, we're trying to do everything we can have the best prices and best deals. So we're like super competitive with everything. Um, but at the same time, it's like, there's just some items that you come across on that you could throw whatever price tag and Hey, if someone wants it, that's, that's yeah. what they got to pay for it. And a lot of these pieces are only continuing to go up. So. so did how was it in New York during lockdown? And obviously having a brick and mortar, you were shut for at least three months, right? Yeah, probably about four or so. Four months. And were you were you selling online or were you basically just shut down zero income for four months? No, we were selling online. I think at first um, so to be honest, it kind of went through a bit of a wave. So we closed early March. And I think for those first few weeks when we were closed. Um, you know, we were doing a bunch of like Instagram sales and online. And I think people were just like way more active and, and we were actually doing pretty good the first few weeks that we were closed. Um, and I think I, I think then it got to a point where people were like, all right, most of us don't have jobs. Like, let's kind of slow down a little bit. <laughs> yeah. um, and then I think it went through another wave where people got a little more money and they were a little more active again. But to be honest, it like it pushed us to do more than just have an online site, which, you know, essentially kind of helped us birth the online auctions that we started doing more and even just kind of like silent auctions where we do these story posts and give you info and then people throw out their own bids. Um, and it's interesting because like we've had some items like that where it's like, 
it's a really great item. And you have some people that are like, Ooh, 50, 60 bucks, like hold it for me. I'll be right over. And then other people that are throwing in proper 12, $1,200, $1,500 bids for some of these bigger items. So it's kind of interesting to see a bit of like the disconnect between people that are more so into vintage and then just like your random average Joe who like kind of follows us, who's kind of just trying to keep up with stuff. Yeah, so totally. It, it, it went through a bit of a wave and I think there was a bit of time in there too, where it like, it felt so weird trying to sell and trying to promote those goods when to be honest, like we really felt like there was way bigger, um, way bigger issues within the world that needed attention. So I felt very strongly about like not posting for kind of like a good month or so, not posting like proper sales stuff because I just felt like the Instagram, like people scrolling, there was more important shit in the times that people needed to see and read and be focused on than like me trying to sell a t-shirt. So there was a bit of, there was a bit of pause there for us as well during, during everything going on. And, you know, I remember looking at my wife being like, I feel like my life is so like pointless. I'm like selling old clothes instead of like helping a better purpose. So I I went through a bit of like a bit of a a struggle and a tough time trying to like align what I wanted to do and felt comfortable with for the whole world moving forward. So it it was, I thought about that same fact quite a bit during COVID and during lockdown. And what I came to the realization of is that what you do, what I do, what other people do who are going to listen to this is that you provide people with happiness and you provide people with an outlet and you provide people with a dopamine rush to get that piece from you. So yes, we're not saving the world. We're not frontline workers, but there is a, there is a place for it because people were obviously vibing on it. And then then all these different things that happened online during COVID, like I've talked to, I talk to so many people because I do this podcast. Right. And there's people that were um, saying that like the, like the, the virtual fleas and the online community through COVID, like, like gave them like hope again and purpose and they met so many people. So like there was that side of it that I think, it's easy to get wrapped up and be like, we're not saving the world, but you, you had a place in making some people happy. Yeah, no, for sure. You're right. A good thing to point out. You know, it's like sometimes we get a, we forget about that stuff too, you know, and totally. it helps. People needed an escape too. They needed to like stop worrying for a minute and just like, I, you know, shop, I guess. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, for, for sure. Um, so I got talk. We're talking about New York. I got, Top five New York questions. Okay. You ready for them? Yeah, let's hear it. First is your top spot for New York pizza. Oh man. How did I know that was going to be your number one question? (laughs) Um, Such a New York question. (laughs) There are, there are so many good spots. And like, what I love is like, they're all like a little bit different, you know? So it's like this type of pizza, that type of pizza. If you want, you know, the best pizza for a buck or two, or if you want the craziest pizza with like all these toppings on it or whatever. But the New York, the New York slice is a thin crust slice that you could fold in half. That's like the New York slice, right? Yeah. Yeah. So I'm going to tell you my favorite neighborhood place. It's like a couple blocks away from where I live. I go there quite often. Um, They become good friends. I think they're even, you know, like follow us and like our photos on Instagram, which is very cool for a local pizza spot. Um, But it's called Zeff's, Z-E-F-F-S. It's maybe like 10 minutes away from the shop, little hole in the wall, but Zeff is literally the guy who's working there every day, making pizzas. 
and um and we nice. love it we go there yeah we go up there all the time and grab a slice so if you're ever out this way i would check out zeph's shout out zeph's i'm checking it out next time in new york okay <laughs> cool. what about your favorite vintage shop other than yourself of course brook could be brooklyn manhattan whatever cool um I'd say one of my favorites is going to be, there's a spot here in Brooklyn, maybe five or 10 minutes away from our shop. And it's a bit more old timey, um, but it's called Raggedy Threads. And you probably know Jamie. She's yeah, got a totally. spot out in LA also. Um, but for me, just being into more of like the old timey stuff, like that's just a spot I love that you just don't see too many cool spaces like that. Like the space is super cool. She's got a great eye. She always has great stuff in there. They do kid stuff too. So we went over there a week or two ago on that day off when I was running around and we saw some cute stuff that we got for our son, Louie and, and my wife and I and stuff too. So that's just like one of my favorite spots that when people come through and ask me for places, it's like, Oh, there's kind of like this spot, that spot. But if you want one of the cooler old timey spots, I would go to raggedy threads. Uh, Jamie kills it. I've known Jamie for yeah. years and years and years. She used to come up and buy from me actually here in Vancouver and she yeah, curates she curates lots of cool old-timey pieces i like that that term old-timey but yeah. also very thrash core like she likes worn in worked in pieces right for sure for sure yeah it's just like you honestly it's it's one of those things where you never know what you're gonna find and you know it's like i've been doing this and into it for so long but i still see so many pieces that i'm just like blown away on either i've never like seen it in person or you know i've seen you know, just like I've heard, I've heard stories about it. And then you like, you know, you go there and you're like, actually like you have a chance to actually own one. Um, so there's like old stuff that I geek out about that like other people probably don't give a shit about. Um, but is just almost the coolest thing in the world to me. So nice. Interesting. Okay. Next on the top five, you are a dad. How old you have a son, correct? Yeah, we have a son. He's, uh, just this past week, he turned one and a half. His name's Louie. One and a half. So basically came about at the same time you had, you got the store. Is that right? Or how long you had the store? Yeah, pretty, uh, pretty close. So we've had the store for a little over three years. So oh, okay, a little, okay. after, yeah, so kind of a little after we got started. Um, and, uh, and then now my wife is pregnant again. So we're expecting our second son this spring. Congrats, dude. That's exciting. Thank you. Yeah. Super, super hyped on that. Um, so yeah, super, super, super hyped on that. And, uh, honestly being the dad is like the fucking coolest. It is the, the raddest ever. So I am, I'm hyped to get another little one and I'm one of three boys too. So hopefully we'll have a, a third one running around with the group. So <laughs> damn, you're going all in. We stopped it too. <laughs> but my next question on the top five is what is your favorite New York thing to do with your son? Um, so just recently, I guess the past few months, he's gotten more into like balls, literally like anything that you pull out that is round. He says it's a ball. He wants to throw it, wants to play with it. doesn't matter if it's like a grape or some other round thing. That's not a ball. He wants to play with everything. So really we have like a, a couple parks set around our house and I just kind of go over there with him with a couple balls and throw them out and give him some space to kind of run around and play around and stuff. Um, so that is, is kind of just my favorite thing. Because, you know, we're, nice. we're in the, he's in the house most of the time and he's running around a little bit. But being in New York, it's like you kind of got to go to more of a park or like an open space to be able to run around without yeah. like you just being on the sidewalk next to cars and stuff. But, well, you know, one of the other coolest things that I like, it's hard for me to believe sometimes is just a few blocks away from our store is like a park uh, called Domino Park. And it used to be the old Domino Sugar Factory. And they kind of tore down half of it and rebuilt a really nice park and then left the other half. 
So it's crazy. It's like we go down to the park now and play and it's like literally in the background is like the Empire State Building and just like the skyline of New York City. And so it's just crazy to think that like, you know, and, you know, years and years down the road, we're going to show him this picture. He's one and a half playing and like his backyard is like New York City. It's yeah, it's totally. kind of wild. Because you didn't grow up there. You grew up in Florida, right? You said? Yeah, I grew up in, yeah, I grew up in South Florida. My dad was from up here in Brooklyn. Um, so I used to come up a bit when we were kids. And uh, to be honest, ever since I was younger, I would like save up my money to like come and like shop in New York. And uh, in my earlier days, I was like more into like sneakers. So I would literally come up to New York in like, eighth grade early high school and i would get lost in like these super hood spots like totally by myself i go to harlem i go to you know fulton street and, and all these places and i'd just be like this little kid walking around by myself just like looking for cool shit and surprisingly like i would find incredible pieces and i would whatever and so always back in the day even when i was living in florida i'd come up and i'd go to supreme you know back in the day you know 15 20 years ago and you, you, know, said you, you said you were like, a skater, would, right? Did you used to come skate in New York? Yeah, honestly, I never really skated in New York. It was more so like my, I guess, like younger life. I think until like about 13 or so, I, I was skating and stuff. And then I, I started to transition more into like, I guess, more like classic American sports and shit. Played like soccer and football. And I was such like a, after skateboarding, I got into like rollerblading. And I was such a tough, like a strong skater that they asked me to play hockey. And I started playing hockey. And so I started playing all these other sports and to be honest, I like grew up with a cold, couple older brothers. So I was always just like a little more, you know, a little more like, like, like tougher, more physical sports and stuff like that too. So kind of had fun playing those and stuff growing up for a bit. What's but your theory it's, it's on, so you, you're the youngest of, th- of three boys. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> you feel like there's like, I have this theory, like I have two boys, but my youngest is, is such a hasher because he's trying to like keep up with his brother. Right. And he's like pushing yeah. and his brother's doing something. He's four years younger, but he's like, I'm going to try that too. You know, and he'll like jump off shit or do whatever. So yeah. the youngest one ends up probably being more athletic because he just pushes harder at a younger age to keep up with the older siblings. Yeah, for sure. I agree. I mean, it was funny. Cause like younger, you're like, you know, Oh, he's, you know, they're bigger, they're taller, they're stronger, whatever. And then it goes through a phase where it's like, I'm bigger, I'm stronger, I'm, you know, whatever. So it's kind of funny. I mean, it it, it did. And it was cool because we were kind of so close in age. We were all about a year and a half apart. So for example, like we all went to high school together. Like I was in ninth grade and they were in 11th and 12th grade. So there was yeah. times when we were close enough that we'd like be on one of the same teams together. And uh, like one of, one of the years that we played hockey, we all three played hockey together and the league made a mistake of putting all three of us on the same team together. So that was a uh, that was a fun season of constant just you know fights and beating the shit out of people that looked at your brother the wrong way and you that's know, like the Hanson brothers man the or parking lot afterward. That that must have been a but, good um, team. Did yeah, you guys did you guys kill it together or what? Yeah, we we did, and it was a lot of fun. You know, it was like it was like we were like the Bash brothers. You know. <laughs> yeah, yeah, totally. Okay, on yeah, to the next fun. question. Let's give the listeners a tip on good spots to go thrift in the city. You don't got to give up all your secrets, but we just need one, one tip somewhere to go find some thrift. To be honest, sometimes like the lame spots, sometimes the lame spots have something. Things like the Buffalo Exchange and like the Beacon's Closet. It's a lot of new stuff. It's a lot of bullshit, but occasionally I'll go there to get rid of stuff that maybe we get in like a bundle lot or if it's not really working in the store or whatever, I'll go over there and drop stuff off, donate, um, sometimes sell some stuff or get like a store credit. 
And occasionally, like, you'll be flipping through the rack and you like, sometimes you'll see some good pieces that like people sleep on. For us too, at this point, it's like nothing's off limits. One of the other things that I would recommend and suggest that I've been doing more of is you see somebody in the street wearing something cool that you're into, ask them if they want to sell it, ask them if they would sell it, you know, if they're open to it. That's something that I started doing more like the past couple of years. And there's a lot of people that look at you like you're crazy and say no. Um, but like, I got a really cool, uh, Nickelodeon shirt off this dude's back for 10 bucks. And I've gotten turned down offering somebody like 300 bucks cash for like their, their grateful dead shirt. So like, you never know who's going to say yes, who's going to say no. But like in the New York area and the Brooklyn area, like so many cool people have so much cool shit. And you just like, you never know the backstory. Like maybe someone just thrifted it for a dollar and it doesn't fit them right. And like, they don't care. Or maybe their dad passed it down to them and like, 3000 bucks wouldn't get it off their back. So I think that's a a cool thing. And, uh, almost like a good challenge for people also moving forward where like you could be anywhere. I mean, I've been in the grocery store line a gas station, you know, wherever, just walking down the sidewalk. And, uh, I think that the easier target too, is like that older guy, you know, the guy who's 50, 60, he's had this old shirt for, you know, for years. He's like, Oh, you want this old dirty shirt with the holes and the, the rips and the paint on it. You know, you're like, Yes, yes, sir, I do. <laughs> yeah. ba- so, you, you're probably not going to buy something off someone's back in the Supreme lineup. You got to get off the beaten path. <laughs> go, go find the old guy. <laughs> Good tip. Yeah, um, sure. It's funny you said Beacon's Closet. There's a Beacon's Closet in Brooklyn, or there was, by where the Brooklyn Flea is in that neighborhood. Okay. Was, I don't. I think there was one there when I there's was like, there. There's a few of them. It's, it's kind of like a chain, so there's like a few of them. Yeah, and um, I actually found something in the New York Beacon's closet, dude. And I yeah, found like dude, a 40s, I found a 40s leather jacket on the on the racks for like 30 bucks. It was sick. So that's that's one of the things. This the reason that things slip by is because there's a lot of younger people buying that like don't know and don't get it. And that's why it's not a great place to go to sell because they're only giving you like three, four, five dollars an item. But like, but they don't know most of the time when they bring in a really good piece. And so it's sitting there for 30, 40 bucks. So that's, that's awesome yeah. that you found that. And it's like, it's crazy because most other people would even look at it and be like, oh, this is just like a random older jacket, like who even cares or whatever. Yeah, exactly. But, you know, people that are into it, there's, you know, you look at some of those details and you can tell, you know, when that thing's from. Okay. Last question for the New York top five. We need yeah. your number one deli. New York deli, but you can't say cats because is cats the big one. Yeah. Okay. You can't say cats, but yeah. that's the only one I know. <laughs> hmm. Let's see. It's funny. Cause like over here, like you have really like kind of the good delis, like cats is like the bigger sit down delis, but then you also have like essentially all these like little corner stores that are like little delis too. And, um, to be honest, like people in New York, like live off of those, like that's our bodega. That's our corner spot. You know, we go there to get, you know, a quick sandwich or whatever snack or whatever you need. Um, quick little household things. So for me, it's almost like that's, you know, unless it's like a proper diner, it's like, that's more of like that, like that go-to deli. And like, they're literally everywhere. Like if you walk out of our store, there's one on both corners. So they're just like everywhere, but it's like, but they surprisingly like low key, like always just like have incredible stuff. And like, you go in there and get a sandwich and it's like three, four, five dollars, but it's like one of the best sandwiches you've ever had. Good and, call. you know, you become like, yeah, you become closer with the guys that work there and stuff. And everyone just, it's more of like a family thing. So that's kind of one of the things that I love here that I just feel like they don't, they don't really have that other places. No, they so. don't. You're right. And uh, it's definitely a big contrast from cats where you'll go and get a corned beef for like, 
I think it's like 25 bucks for a sandwich or something. I remember just yeah, going some there. Some of them are pretty crazy. I mean, they're, they're delicious too. They um, are. But I'd say if, uh, uh, another more like sit down uh, diner deli one that would be cool is there's one in Greenpoint, like 10 minutes north of our store, and it's called Frankel's. And it's like two younger brothers that are two brothers that opened it together maybe like a couple of years ago now. And it's crazy. They like close almost every day early because they run out of food. Um, so oh, it's, it's kind of wild, but, but really, really good stuff over there too. Okay. There's a new segment on the show. People wanted me to talk about burns times that you sold something for too cheap. It's called big burns. Okay. <laughs> and somebody else came up with his name, but this is the time on the show. We talk about time you've undersold something and you regret it. It's the regret time on the show. We've all done it. It happens to everybody. For sure. Yeah. For sure. Um, honestly, there's numbers of items that come uh, come to thought because mostly because prices are just going up so quick. And I'll kind of give you two quick examples. Um, one would be kind of like that bowls, like Jordan wrap tees. You know what I mean? The collage setup. Right before COVID, we were selling them for like two two fifty. And post COVID, they go for three times that price, you know, five, 600 bucks, 650. I mean, I can't even find one for under 400 bucks to get for us to bring into the shop. So even in six months, what we were selling at 200 has tripled to 600. So there's one where it's almost like at the time I was like, oh, cool, like good sale, whatever. But in six months now, I'm already like regretting some of those pieces. Yeah. And one of the other things is going to be one of the other big booms with like the Nike SBs. It's, it's hard to, uh, to be bummed about such a, a, such a good sale where you have such a great markup, but then to see where the price is now, just six months later, where like I had a pair of uh, like the high top skunk SBs, like the green suede ones, and they were killer. I was lucky enough to get them at retail from a skate shop years and years and years ago, and I was sitting on them forever. And, uh, and just before the boom, like, you know, six or eight months ago, we ended up selling them in the shop for like 700 bucks, which is like pretty great. So I bought them for a hundred bucks or 150, sold them for 700. Awesome return. And now six months later, they're going for close to 3000 bucks. So, crazy. you know, it's like, it's, it's little stuff like that where it's like, you know, I'm not going to say I resent it. And obviously we're a business and we need to sell stuff, but a lot of pieces are getting harder to figure out what to sell, what to hold, what to price it at. Yep. So it's, uh, it's, it's interesting in that world a little bit right now. The market's moving super fast. Used to be that Dealers would price it, it would sell. If it sells super quick, then maybe you're like, maybe next time I'll price it a little higher and it kind of moves slowly like that. But right now with the auctions, you're like, what did that sell for? And then all of a sudden went from like 500 bucks to a thousand overnight and everyone's selling it for crazy prices. And yeah. that dunk, the SB boom is kind of wild. Like, what do you put that on? You're, you're a bit of a sneakerhead, right? Like you, you buy yeah. and sell sneakers, yeah? Yeah. I mean, definitely more so was back in the day, to be honest, like when I was in high school into college was like prime time for me. So 2007, like 2010, I mean, I was going to five sneaker stores a day on big drops and getting size runs. And it was all stuff where it's like, it was easy stuff before. It's like purple pigeons. They retail for 75 bucks. You get fucking a double size run and you sell them all for 200 bucks each and you make a bunch of money and you get free shoes. And nowadays it's like, you see that shoe and it's going for six or 800 bucks. So for me back in the day, it was like, you know, you see everyone doing the loops now and doing the size runs and they whatever. And like in the earlier days, like that's what I was doing and it was working out really well. And at first it was just like, wait, so you're telling me that like, if I get this shoe for 75 bucks and then I sell one of the other ones 
at 75 bucks for 200 that I'm getting a free pair of shoes. And like, that's what it was all about at first. And then it was like, wait, is there a limit to how many I could buy? And like, literally, if I had 2000 bucks in my bank account, I would clear that shit out because I knew that it was going to, you know, increase and, and multiply and multiply. So for me, it was like, that was when I was very much into into sneakers and the reselling and getting what I could. And I was on like, you know, sneaker forums like ISS and like Nike talk and doing a lot of business there. And, um, to be honest nowadays, like I can't, I can't get a shoe. I can't win a fucking raffle. I don't hit on sneakers app. I don't think I've gotten a new shoe in close to two years besides maybe one or two random ones that I've gotten here or there because I can't, I can't secure a shoe. And now it's like such a, like a normal thing for something to sell out and be 800 bucks or a thousand. And, um, so for me, how do you, game has, has died for me. How he, how did you get them back in the day? You could walk in and buy two size runs, uh, with like no hookup, just like straight off the shelf. Yeah, for sure. I mean, I would, so there was a few skate, like I went to school, I went to college in Orlando and in Orlando, there's a bunch of different skate shops, a bunch of different Nike outlets. Um, and so I, I would, I would literally like hit that loop of like hitting those five or six skate shops. And like some you'd go to, you'd go to, and maybe they have a, a one or two limit. And then you go to other ones and you ask and they go, no. And if you wanted more than like one or two pairs, like if you wanted more than two pairs, they literally look at you like you're crazy. Like, okay, you want one pair and you're going to skate them. So you want another pair, maybe, but you want every pair that I have left in the store. You want a size run. You want a double, triple size run. Like what? You know what I mean? And you have all these other little kids in the, in the shop that are looking at you like you're crazy. And a lot of them, like I would, you know, they'd be a few years younger and I'd go over and try to like school them in like a nice, respectable way. And I'm like, yo, get as many as you, as these, as you can, like, this is an investment. Like these are a hundred bucks each. They're going to be two, three, 400 bucks. And some of these kids would look at me like I was crazy at first. And then I was like, yo, like it's, it's a bit of a hustle with like something that you love and enjoy. You get free shoes, you get whatever. And so I would literally call these different skate shops. And sometimes I'd be driving an hour or two hours to be able to hit all these different ones and get as many as I could. Um, but I remember days even going to the malls and going to Foot Locker. Sorry about that. Yeah, no, um, about going to like malls and going to Foot Locker and literally having employees bring out like the wheelie carts and helping me bring out size runs to my fucking car. You know, nice, so it's like, dude. Back, yeah, back in the day, like places didn't really have limits. You know what I mean? They're like, like, if you think about it, if you're a small mom and pop and someone wants to come through and they want the whole rack. Like what's holding you back from selling them the whole rack? It's not even like you have to discount them for a larger order, you know? So they were, they were happy. They move all the units, you know, we're happy. And so a lot of the hustle kind of started with sneakers and stuff for me, but honestly has. But now it's all, now it's all, it's limited for sure. You got to win the raffle. The people who are getting the size runs are getting backdoor deals. It's all like, you know, closed door cash and hand, like, grease me, I'll grease you type scenarios. The same yeah. people are getting all, all the runs. You can, yeah. it's, it's become, well, they, the, the projections on the sneaker game right now is insane. The growth, insane amounts of billion dollars in the sneaker game right yeah. now in resale. I mean, that's why even like a pair of like original Jordan ones. So like we have like six pairs in the shop and five of them are my personals, which at first we were selling them and we were selling them for around a thousand bucks a pop. And, uh, and like, OG ones and early Jordan stuff is like one of my favorite things. So I was like been collecting those over the years and I've had, you know, 10 to 15 pairs, different times and different things. And to be honest, I've been blessed enough to find crazy deals and been collecting them for so long that I've never really paid more than a couple hundred bucks for a pair. And now a brand new and original with the tags and bucks sells for 10 to 15,000. So 
you know, some of those, it's like, you can make big money on if you want to, but it's kind of hard to let those go. And for us, it's like, those are kind of like my, my pieces of art, you know, that yeah. continue to, to go up and just look fucking beautiful in a case. So it's hard to, what do you value? What do you value used ones at right now? Originally? Honestly, there's such a range and it's, I like having my pairs in here because they're kind of in like a little bit of like different conditions. So I love to pull them out and show people why these are wearable, why these aren't, um, what starts to crumble and you know, what, what starts to, you know, to, to fall off that, that changes it. Because to be honest, I mean, you could probably find a cooked pair or even like a single shoe. If you just want like to throw it on a display or whatever for a hundred bucks, a couple hundred bucks on eBay. And then it goes up to, you know, the 10 or 15,000 mark. So I think if you have a good pair that's wearable, that you, you know, you gotta, you have a lot of room to price it, you know, between anywhere from maybe 1500 to like 7,500 for certain ones. So I think with seeing more people that are even customizing shoes and everyone wants their pair to look like an 85 pair and they're yellowing the midsole and they're scuffing them up and doing all this shit to have a pair that's original, that actually looks like what everyone's trying to get their pair to look like. You know, I, I think that's, you know, for me, it's like, we have a black and red pair. They're a size 10 and a half. They're in perfect vintage prime wearable condition. You know what I mean? So for us, to be honest, like I'm asking 6,500 on them and I'm like, I'm totally fine holding on to them until yeah, it yeah. goes until that to never. Me, that to I mean? me like, is, I don't have to sell them. That, that's the shoe. It's the shoe that when I think about sneaker collecting, it's, it's what started it. It's something that's held true value throughout the whole time I've been into, into vintage. And it's um it's cool to see but it's you know like you said they've you know they can go for like a grand yeah sick they can go for like a grand up to whatever 10 grand what makes this shoe is mostly wearable right which is also a really cool thing because original pair of threes is not wearable yeah it's on me i'm gonna pull out a a couple pairs for you so i can kind of show you real quick yeah let's do it man uh, to be honest i'm I'm just going to to relocate for a second and pop the light on. So you can kind of see uh, peeking out in the background also. We have like this barrister with a bunch of my personal originals back there in the case. And then um, and then some of the Wings logo t-shirts above as well. So I'm going to pull a couple over there and kind of show you like what makes them more wearable and uh, and kind of less less wearable as well. And... Uh, this is sick, dude. Yeah, I'm stoked. To see, I'm stoked. I love this kind of shit. I'm not really a sneakerhead, but I love to learn. Dude, it's like honestly, it's super interesting. And these are pieces that are um, these are pieces that are just like so classic, where it's literally like these are almost like the pieces of art for the younger kids, you know. So it's definitely interesting. But here is my uh, so here's my pair of neutral grays. So these I purchased through somebody back in college. Okay, so I've had these for over twelve years. Um, I got these for, I think 175 bucks. Okay. So this pair is still wearable. And so a couple of the key factors with wearable is, is this is what you want to see. The ankle liner is super cushy still really cushy and nice. Okay. So that's one of the things. And then the sole for it still to have traction, kind of be more of like a rubber. And those are really two of the main points to it. So a lot of people kind of come in and they go, Oh, I saw one on eBay for 500 bucks and I was like, did you see it? Did you, did you like touch it and feel it? Do you know what the actual ankle liner feels like? Because those are two of the points where it starts to essentially they start to deteriorate and crumble. It falls to the bottom of the ankle liner 
and um, becomes super uncomfortable to wear. It almost feels like there's like rocks or like little pieces of sand down yeah. there stuck in there. And then it's like, and it starts the, to go, it starts to dust, dust out of the foam, right? And get all over your socks yeah. and it's like not nasty. And then I guess, I guess for the sole, you're saying the sole still has rubber like give to it. And if this, cause sometimes the, the sole will dry out and just become super brittle, right? For sure. So here is my pair of Royals and you can see from how much the collar has sunk down where oh, yeah. this this lining is completely gone it's super slim it's literally gone out of the bottom of the shoe and so this shoe they actually look incredible they look great um but again this is like you almost sound like a tap shoe when you're walking so this would be one of the ones that like to be honest i would still wear until they fucking crack but more so are not really wearable between the ankle liner deteriorating and this not having too much traction and being almost like a, a bit of a harder plastic. To yeah. It. Eventually kind of when it. you like, when you bend that sole too much, it's going to split yeah, down the middle. Break. Yeah. Um, but for me, it's like this pair with like the wear to it, the yellowing, the details. I mean, we get people that come through and they're like, Oh man, let me paint those midsoles for you. You need it to, I'm like, no dude. Like this is, <laughs> what people want in this shoe yeah and that's why so many people are like re are you know customizing them to make them look you know how they do now so you can kind of see in the on the collar how much the it sunk on the royals oh, yeah, big time literally nothing in there for me it's still such a rad shoe i would literally wear it to the death and if i wanted to keep wearing it eventually maybe soul swap it it's just to me like these are this is what it kind of it's all about is like this wear and this look is you know it's it's almost like the fades to t-shirts it's like you got to earn you got to earn your fades and you got to earn you know the kind of the pieces you're wearing a little bit so yeah, just like denim you know you earn the whiskers right you earn the fade yeah absolutely like same thing and so these two are both super wearable you know so you got cushy up top here in the liner nice traction down here and again just like insane wear these i got from um these I actually got from somebody at Inspiration in, in LA like three years ago. Nice. Um, maybe even more, three, four years ago or something like that. And I think even at Inspiration, I got these for like 200 bucks, 250. You know what I mean? It was like, it was before a lot of that bigger, I guess, kind of sneaker boom type of thing. And before like the OGs and obviously now like the ones are just it. Um, but. So question for you, know, you like, how many colorways are there? Is, that, is there? is there more than four? You just showed us four, right? Yeah, there's a bunch. So we have five here. Okay. So okay. we have the Chicago's. We have the black and white. We have the Royals. We have the neutral grays. And so those four are all my personal ones that I wear. They're my size. Um, and uh, just a solid piece. And then we have a pair of the, um, of the breads over here as well. So we have five colors. And then they also did the shadows and then they did a number of the metallics also so it's like a white with an orange metallic um white with like a kind of like a minty green metallic white with like a navyish purple metallic and uh i might even be forgetting something else and then they had like original like air jordan ko's which is like the uh, uh more canvas canvas shoe. okay so what's the most rare and most valuable um i think this one is going to be up there because this is one of the OGs that they've never retroed before. So the Chicago's, they release a bunch, the breads, the Royals, even the black and white, they've released a couple, but 
I think this is one of those pairs that people come in and kind of look at the most like they're a unicorn, just because if you don't have the 85s, you don't have them at all. Yeah, crazy. Um, yeah. Nice and stash, still, like, dude. Nice stash. <laughs> Thank you, dude. Yeah, it's funny. Like, I've just been collecting them for so long, and even before all the hype and shit, you know, it was obviously way easier to locate a lot of these pieces and to to be able to find them for next to nothing. I mean, one of the pairs, actually this pair of Chicago's, this is a great story. I got these from Rose Bowl in LA. And I was I was over there a couple of years ago, I guess three years ago or so. And for Fell Trigger, we used to do, uh, at first, our production in New York, then we moved everything to LA. So towards the end of Fell Trigger, we were out in LA once a quarter at least between production houses, sourcing, trade shows, all that other shit. Um, so we were at Rose Bowl, and literally I had like a, you know, know a bunch of other people there with booths and other shit. And someone sees me, walks by and goes, yo, they have a pair of uh, OG ones over there that I think you would really dig and blah, blah, blah. And uh, I don't know what the guy wants for it, but, um, you know, I think you should go check them out. And I was like, for sure. You know, like I ran over there. It was one of those like back left corners where it's like a huge fence and the guy just has, you know, all these shoes set up. So he's got all these, all these shoes set up and whatever. And there's so many, there's literally like, thousands just all lined up on the floor right yeah. and so i see i i like i'm i'm just i'm always scanning you know what i mean especially sneakers and stuff so i'm like scanning i see the pair i'm like fucking beeline for them i pick them up i'm checking them out they're good they're real they're 85 they're still wearable they're my size i'm just like what is happening right now I'm <laughs> at a flea market i'm actually about to pick up this pair and i have no idea what the dude's gonna price Matt. you know what i mean he could tell me two thousand bucks i have no clue and so i hold them up and he's probably like 30 feet away, right? He's like over there. And I hold him up and I was like, yo, what's up, bud? Like, how much you want for these? He looks at me real quick. He's almost like squinting a little bit too. He goes, uh, give me a hundred. And I'm like, all right, yeah, let me see if I got it. And I'm like sitting there and I start looking through my money. And I think my hands like kind of started shaking a little bit. And I was like, no fucking way am I about to get this pair, blah, blah, blah. And so I walk up to the dude and uh and give him the hundred bucks and i'm out right yeah and so i walk around i go back i go back to the other homies who put me on and i was like yo thank you so much like i can't believe you didn't snag those like i just fucking got them like whatever and he was like no way he's like i thought they were gonna be so much i didn't even ask how much were they and i go the dude gave me for a hundred bucks <laughs> and so the guy's like no way like my friend just said he told him like 500 and i was like what and i was like to be honest like i'm a pretty honest dude you know what i mean and so like it was a fucking great come up excuse my language but there was a part of me that felt bad you know it felt a little funny and so i i went back and i and i told the guys like listen i know the deal's done but i just wanted to like double check and make sure that like this is cool and blah blah, blah and i just want you to know that like what you had type of thing and like i appreciate the deal and and the guy goes, oh, my God, I'm so sorry. He goes, my uncle, is. he went to the bathroom. This is his stand. I'm just, like, watching it and blah, blah, blah. And he felt so bad. And, like, I also kind of felt a little bit bad. But I was also, like, I'm not about to, like, give up my fucking grail that I just found. And so I was, like, kind enough to, like, give him another 50 bucks. You know what I mean? Just because I felt bad. Um, so what do you mean? Still, so, like, the, so the uncle priced him at 500 and then the nephew sold them to you for a hundred and then you went back and yeah. you gave, did you see the uncle? No, I didn't see the uncle. I saw the nephew again. And I was just like, cause I didn't even know, I didn't know if it was his booth or his uncle's like, I have no clue. There's one guy standing yeah, you there. Asked the price, yes, totally. You know, I paid for the, paid for the shoes. And, uh, and yeah, he was literally like, Oh my God, my uncle's going to fucking kill me and blah, blah, blah. And I like, I didn't even bring him back with me to talk to him because I didn't want it to be a situation where he took him back or yeah, totally. showed up 
oh, he got into a fight or some dumb shit. So I was just like, yo, I feel so bad. Like, here's another 50 bucks, you know, and kind of like step backwards in slow motion. I'm like, oh. <laughs> so it's, Dude, it's that is a score. Yeah. That's true. And the lesson there is your, your homies that put you on didn't even ask the price or maybe they did, but like, you've got to ask. Sometimes I walk around the bowl too and I'm like, ah, I'm not even going to ask, you know, I'm not even going to ask because I just have a feeling, but then you never know. You never know. No harm in asking. Yeah, you never know. I mean, even people that come through here sometimes like, dude, I might have something priced at a hundred. Maybe I'll take 70. Maybe I won't, but you never know unless you ask and you know, it's like try to hook people up. We get a good return customer. So it's stuff like that too. That's important to us where it's like, dude, I, maybe I saved you 20, 30 bucks now, but like, it's going to make us two or 3000 bucks in the future. So yeah, dude, that is super sweet story. Super good. Jordan knowledge there, dude. That's fucking bad, man. So what is yeah. your favorite Jordan piece of clothing? Uh, oh, man, kind of tough. I've gotten some really cool... Um, I guess overall, it's kind of kind of be like the Wings logo tees, where um, I'll take you on a little... Uh, I don't even know if I can flip the screen. Oh, yeah, I can. So even right up here above the case, we have yeah. these three Wings logo tees. So nice. that's another thing. Yeah, with my old like alien workshop deck in there also. <laughs> Perfect. Um, so it's like those type of pieces are ultimately my favorite where I've loved those for so long. I've been collecting for so long. I have like 15 of them. So wow. different, yeah, different colors, different sizes. I have youth sizes for my son. I have sizes for my wife, like all this shit. I'm just always looking for them. And so even when we sell them at the shop, I'll just bring in different personal ones and we like rotate them. Um, but this is another interesting promo piece for the Jordan 4s they released a few years ago that we got. So sometimes we get other cool pieces like that that maybe aren't 20 years old, but are very cool specialty pieces also. Um, so just another cool Jordan piece that that I dig also in there. That's sweet. Those yeah. 15 wings tees, man, that's wild. Yeah, dude, it's, it's pretty crazy. It's just, it's been one of those things that I've just been into forever. And uh I just love like OG Jordan stuff and early Nike stuff. And like, this is, this is one of the earlier Nike shirts we have from the seventies. So it's, I have that yeah. good old tag on it. Orange swoosh but, tag. Yeah. But in just into like classic nostalgia nineties. So we try to do a good little blend in here. Um, it's like our old Powell deck over here Sick. that we used to skate on sure. back in the day. So just like a bit of a mix of, you know, from as early as the forties or fifties through, through the nineties, really. So a bit of a, a bit of a different vibe in here, but it's pretty sweet. Get the Fraser jacket on the wall. <laughs> yeah, this one's crazy. It's a casting crew member jacket. So it says a lady's name, Diana on the front. Um, even this, this, uh, this old souvenir jacket belonged to my father-in-law. So his best friend brought it back for him overseas after he was in the military years and years ago. Nice. In the 60s. I have one yeah. of the cam camo ones right now. But yeah, it's, you know, we're just like literally just always looking for cool shit. So I kind of consider myself a treasure hunter, you know, like kind of whatever yeah. it is. And then we do like some kid stuff too. That's pretty sweet. So uh, how does the kid like stuff little, do for you, man? We've tried to, we've tried to do kids quite often and it hasn't really panned out in the retail sense. How did your kids live go? Um, to be honest, it went pretty well. So we just did the second one this past week. And uh, our kid stuff does really well. And it was all like, honestly, born out of necessity, where it's like we had a buddy who had a kid and we were trying to find him like a cool gift and couldn't really find anything. And we ended up having to go to some like 
new store and spend like 60 bucks on some like kid shirt that I was super bummed about. And then you start sitting there being like, dude, 60 bucks in a vintage world, especially for kids stuff. You think about how much cool shit you could find. And so for us, to be honest, one of the first kids things that I ever bought was one of the little kids wings logo tees from 85. And it was just like pieces like that, that set me off where I was just like, dude, like all of us that love vintage as we grow up, like we're going to want our kids to have some cool shit too. Sure. And and it's interesting because in here, even like we have people that wear every different size, you know what I mean? Like you get a guy who's six, who walks out in like a crop top and he's like, perfect. So we also have a lot of women that shop the youth stuff also. So like youth, large youth, extra large is a great seller for women because it fits them. It's priced a little lower. And like, even my wife, for example, like we go to like the Gucci store and she goes to like the kids section stuff's half the price, you know, whatever. So there's like definitely pros and cons to it. But it just gives us a good range because now it's kind of like we have something for everybody in here. So yeah, a lot nice. of new young parents in Brooklyn that are looking for cool shit. I think you're right. And I think as as more get older and start to have kids, it's going to be more of a market for it for sure. You know, parents yeah. spend a lot of money on their kids. They want their kids to look fly. Yeah, for sure. I mean, you should hear some of the things that like parents come in here like asking about or to, like this one guy came in recently and he's like, my daughter's six and I and she's about to go back to school. And I wanted her to look like she could beat the shit out of the biggest bully in the store. And I was like, or in the school. And I was like, that's a badass little kid. So we, we gave her this uh, little kid's like original Darth Vader shirt and a really cool pair of like beat up jeans and this like old, like kind of 60s, like kind of workwear jacket. And it was just like the coolest, toughest little look, you know, you could think about for like a little kid. Um, so it's like, that's cool awesome. and interesting. And they made a lot of cool shit for kids, you know? So, hell yeah. So do you have a challenge for our listeners today? Um, yeah, I think after talking about it a little more, I think one of the cool challenges would to be um, the next piece that you see somebody wearing out in public, try to make it yours. Try to make it yours. You don't have to approach them and say, hey, will you take 20 bucks or will you take 500 bucks or whatever? Tell them they, tell them they got a cool shirt and ask them if they'd be interested in selling it and let yeah. them go from there, you know? Yeah, that's a wicked challenge, off the back challenge. And... One tip for that is you, when you're going to do that, you got to have a replacement. If you try to take someone's shirt off their back, you have to have something for them to get home in. So just always carry a yeah, blank, that, carry a nice blank you can give away. It's funny because the, the Nickelodeon shirt that I got from that dude, before I even told him, before I even offered him a price, I kept in mind, keep in mind, I only paid him $10, but before I even offered him a price, it was just, Hey, are you interested in selling that? He was literally like both hands on the bottom of his shirt, taking his shirt off. And homie walked down this, like, this is a grown man, walked down the sidewalk of New York, hairy chest and back out, no shirt, <laughs> happy. He's got 10 bucks, going to get a couple beers. So Perfect. yeah, I mean, one of the things that we were talking about was making, um, making like a, a, like a store shirt that's essentially like Grand Street Local bought this shirt off my back and all I got was like this lousy t-shirt, you know, type of thing. So it's like yeah, people, yeah. you know, you get a cool t-shirt and you got, you kind of got something to, to take away from it. Okay, yeah, we'll man, we're going to end it here. You got any shout outs? Cool. Uh, honestly, like to you, to you and your brother for kind of doing what you guys do. And to be honest, it's cool to see even like your pops kind of step in and talk about stuff that he's been doing for years and that type of thing. And, you know, you guys were some of the earlier guys that we met in the vintage world that were just doing cool shit and continue to grow and continue to not only do cool vintage pieces, but to do Frankie's collective and to be repurposing and doing it well and tastefully. Um, and the team you guys have built and the business you guys have built, um, honestly, like very much look up to you guys and appreciate, 
appreciate Thank you guys you, even sir. like appreciate that even big time reaching out to us to, to chat about it so and to all the other younger younger guys out there younger guys and girls that are starting to open up their own shops and stuff i mean it's it's cool. There's nothing like being your own boss. You know what I mean? Like you got to make sure you're kicking yourself in the ass and you're working hard every day. Um, but it also is, um, such a beautiful part of life that I love seeing a lot of these other guys kind of like, uh, quitting their day jobs and starting to do this more often because they can, and they have the knowledge and the hustle and the drive. Um, so for me, I love seeing more shops like this open because they're just cool stuff for me to go peek out. So Kind of, yeah. kind of to the to the old school cats and to all the new ones getting in and everyone in between. I mean, just keep doing your thing and and keep a uh, stay true to your focus of what you like because that I feel like that is what people can sell the best when it's something that they're passionate about and they care about and they have that background knowledge. Um, so I feel like that's interesting too. Is you know when you find older pieces, ask as many questions as you can. Where it came from, who had it, who wore it, you know that type of stuff because that'll help you sell and kind of inform people on the items moving forward make it more valuable so yeah the story goes a long way all right dude that was awesome it's great chatting to you thank you for coming on and uh, hopefully i will see you sooner than later in a post-covid world hey thank you for tuning in this sunday check me out at the melrose trading post with the earthlings as always, you can go to fsmfrankvintage.com and get 35% off with code VTG and stuff. Go check out Frankie Collective. We're dropping tons of vintage and reworks all the time. Please check out my Patreon. Link is down below. Like this video. Share it. I appreciate you guys. More content coming soon.